Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Amen. Well, if you're standing, you may be seated. I know that was an exciting thing. It, I didn't think when you were, uh, when, you, when all of us were born, we didn't think we'd be in a church where people get married and then you, you preach the gospel afterwards. I mean, what a special, I hope you realize that that just shows that God is doing something in, in this room, in, in the lives of these people. And, and uh, I just want to formally congratulate um, Andreas and Emily Chavez for their, their new wedding. What a blessing on their marriage. And, and it's just, uh, they told me, you know, I found out kind of late, like, oh, hey, we're, there's a Jesus wedding. I'm like, there's a Jesus wedding? Jesus is getting married at my church? No, it's, <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I didn't know. About it. But you know what? I, I just said, you know, what a beautiful thing. I'm so honored that I get to preach after something like that. But I don't have a whole lot of time. That's the only, that's the only thing tonight. So what I want to do, I want to get right into it. So if you would just bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. Father, we just honor you this evening, Lord, and we pray that your word would go forth, that it would penetrate our minds and our hearts. Lord, that we would feel your presence and your spirit. Father, I ask that you would use me as your vessel to deliver your word this evening. And I just thank you for what you're about to do in this place and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in, we're in this series of identity, born identity. And uh, when I first heard of the name born identity, I wasn't really excited about it because it just reminded me of those movies. And I'm like, what are we doing? We're gonna have Matt Damon come and do all these things. Like, what are we doing? But anyways, I, I started to realize how powerful it is. We go through this life and, and you know what? People start to put labels on us. Even in our infant state, people start to put labels on us. People start to, like, for example, when I came, when I was a baby, there's pictures of me, but there's a lot of hair. So, you know, people just like, oh, look at that head of hair he has. You know, it wasn't like my cute feet, because I had that too. It wasn't my, my beautiful hands or my perfect skin. Wow, look at that head of hair he had. And so people start to put labels on you, and you go through life, and some of these labels are real negative. And if you know anything about negativity, negativity carries a louder volume in your life. In other words, negativity, the words that you, that you hear or things that people say to you, if they're negative, for some reason, it's a heavier weight. And for some of us, we begin to live in that negativity. See, there could be a relationship that you have in your life where someone is always positive with you, but if they're negative to you one time, that can set the relationship off. It can be unforgettable. It, it, can, it can just mess things up. And so negativity holds this heavy weight. And so I want to get real personal with you guys this evening. And I hadn't told this story in a very long time. At least I don't think I have. Forgive me if you've heard it before. But it's about me. When I was 14 years old, um, I went through some extensive testing on my mind. I wasn't a good student in school, so everybody started to get concerned, like, what's wrong with this kid? You know, and, and so I, I, I went through extensive testing, and I recently asked my parents, actually just this past week, I asked them, can you give me that report? And I read it for the first time, just to prepare for this sermon. 
And so in, that, in this room, they put me in this room, and you can imagine they got all these different puzzles. Then they got like a stack of papers. And then they tell me, hey, I need you to write everything about your life. Like what? I said, really? This is awful. They're like, I was 14 years old. So they yeah, just write everything about your life. And I said, okay. So I wrote this paragraph. I read it recently. And I, I wrote all these things. I did all these puzzles. They even had me look at those blot, those blot pictures. And tell me, what do you see? And, uh, I, you know, honestly, I, I didn't see much. I never really understood that, but I told him, like, it kind of looks like a unicorn. On t- you know, like, I just, whatever, I, you know, I, I'm supposed to go along with this. And so they determined that, hey, this report came back, and it, 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 stated, it stated that I needed to repeat the eighth grade, and I need to go to a new school. And I need to go to this new school because we can't help him here. And so I had to transfer schools and repeat the eighth grade. And you can imagine somebody at the age of 14 hearing this, and I I started to get upset. And one of the reasons, like, I I recently got upset because I'm reading this report for the first time, mind you. And I recently got upset because in the report, I was being measured in a percentile. You guys heard of it? You guys have seen this before, right? You're measured in a percentile. In other words, this is your kid, and here are the rest of the kids that are walking this earth. Here's your kid, and this is what it's telling my parents, and this is the rest. Your kid needs a lot of help. And so if you know the story, for those of you that that may know, I I go to this other school. They put me in this special program, and in that program, I met some friends. Okay, we had a great time, all right? It's not all, yeah, I'm going to have a good time. They're going to do this to me. I'm going to have a good time. And so... Anyways, but I started to notice that there was some lingo being said that I didn't like. So, for example, as we're in this program, uh, it was a different classroom. It was off, away from like the rest of the campus. It was awkward. And so what began to take place is a lot of the kids in that class would say things like, hey, I don't know if I can make it in mainstream. They called it mainstream. And I remember this, I'm like, mainstream? Yeah, mainstream, you know, like the other kids. And I'm like, oh, this is okay. And I I remember saying, I think I can make it in mainstream. And they're like, no, you can't. (laughs) You can't make it in mainstream. And I said, are you serious? So I go to my teacher and I say, hey, uh, do you think I can make it in mainstream? And and she goes, you know what? You know, honestly, I... You just got here, so no, I don't think you can. I said, okay. So then the conference comes up, right? We have parent-teacher conference. So I tell my parents, I say, hey, look, um, I'm not going to make it in mainstream, apparently. So you're probably going to hear that. And so they tell my parents, hey, yeah, he can't do mainstream. So then it started to reflect. So everyone started, I'm in this new school. I'm in this different classroom. And then everybody, you know, is asking me, like, hey, why, do you, why are you in that classroom? Is that the little bus classroom? So immediately a label is put on me that I, and I didn't like it, not because of me, but because I already had friends. And so you're calling them, you're calling them and me, you're just insulting everybody in this class. Long story short, because I don't have a lot of time. 
I forced my parents to take me out of that, that program. And mainstream was hard. It was really hard. But I just kept at it. And if you don't know today, I've graduated college. I've, thank you. I, have my, I went to uh, Biola University. I'm a graduate. It's my alumni. And, uh, and to this day, I, I, I look at that degree and I say, hey, I'm better than mainstream. And so, I, I don't normally talk about it much um, because it's just with such a negative time in my life. But I know that there's some people here that I felt maybe it'll help you to understand that you don't need to be compared to anybody else. And I love this, that, that Jordan Peterson in his, his book, 12 Rules for Life, he has 12 rules, but rule number four says, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not with who someone else is today. And when I remember I took that, I, I remember when I read that, it just sparked in me just a rage how we can compare ourselves to other people, but then you have professionals that want to compare you to other people as well. And you walk around with this label, and it begins to saturate your mind, and you begin to believe it. But what my scriptures tell me is that we're a little different. All of us. Scientists would agree as well. Every single one of us is different. We're different than the rest of the world because we serve a different purpose. Everybody has a purpose. For example, in the, the biblical writers, they would always give a title to certain people. Like, it, For example, Abraham was known as the friend to God. Okay, And then Nehemiah was known as the cupbearer. Right? And then David was known as a shepherd and then a king. Right, And then we all know that the thief on the cross, well, he's the thief on the cross. In other words, there was always some kind of label attached to a title, and you only get that label based off what you do in your life. It's not because some expert labeled you that. It's not because some professional is telling you that. But it's because of what they did in life. See, I want to talk about Joshua tonight. Joshua was an assistant. He's a young guy. He was the assistant to Moses. And I just want to examine three events tonight that Joshua goes through that really gives him his identity. It really gives him that purpose. And so when I think about Joshua, I think about somebody who is loyal to Moses. Now Moses is bringing the people out of Egypt, right? And he's getting them to what? The promised land. That's the promised land. That, everything is a conquest, right? Through the desert, everything. Moses has to get him to the promised land. But Joshua is this young guy, and he's following and observing Moses. As a matter of fact, Joshua knew that being obedient to Moses always revealed God's work. I'm going to say that again. Joshua knew that being obedient to Moses would always reveal God's work. See, in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12 through 13, you may, if you're reading through this fast, you'll skip it, but it says this, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with the assistant Joshua, and Moses went up 
into the mountain of God. So here's, if you could put that picture up if you've got it, team. So here's Joshua literally following Moses as he's carrying the tablets. Now some scholars believe that he probably wasn't up there, I don't know. But regardless, this picture paints a good scene. That here's Moses, he's following in his footsteps as he's coming down with the law of God during this time, Joshua is right behind Moses. Now, I don't know about you, if Moses or some old guy tells me, hey, I'm gonna go pray at that mountaintop, come with me. I'd be like, dude, heck no. <laughs> right, like, really, you gotta do that? We gotta hike up there to pray? We just pray right here. Let's just do this right now. Let's do this right now, right? And he's like, why, why do I have to go with you all the way up there, like, you're good, right? You go seek God, you're fine. But it said, the scripture said, so Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of, of God. When I think about that, I could probably imagine what is pushing Joshua to do such a thing? You could take that picture down now. But what is pushing Joshua to do this? Because nobody, I don't think anybody would say like, okay, yeah, let's go. And I just don't see it happening. But see, Joshua knew that that obedience would bring about something. Was he just being a nice guy? Was he just being a nice kid? And I don't think it was that. I think what Joshua wanted, I think Joshua wanted to see God. I think what he wanted at that moment is, look, I know Moses talks to God. I'm gonna go with him so I could see that. I wanna see that conversation. In other words, the things of God is what pleased Joshua. And so this brings me to my next point. Joshua was hungry for something. See, your identity comes through your hunger. What do you care about? What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? Is it something that is, you're constantly thinking about? Is it social media? Hoping you get that extra like? Is it, what it whatever it is, that's what you're hungry for. And so I want you to examine yourself tonight to really think about where your identity comes from. What are you hungry for? And if you're not hungry for the things of God, then you're gonna have a hard time because the world's gonna give you your identity. When you're not hungry for the things of God, you're gonna get your identity from somewhere else. You can get it from a politician. You can get it from a, from a news broadcaster since all of them are journalists these days and experts at everything. I laugh because when I watch the news, sometimes expert so-and-so. I said, wasn't he an expert in this too? He's an expert in this, he's an expert in that, he's an expert in this, he's an expert. But it, and then you're like, oh wow, that's an expert. I better listen to him. See, if you're not gonna get it from God, then who do you wanna get it from? Some people say, well, I wanna get it from my parents. Is that really a good idea? Right? We all, I'm sure all of us, we, a lot of us love our parents, but there's some of us in here today we probably don't want to get our identity from our parents. And so if you don't get it from God, then where else are you gonna get it? See, I love this, is that there was, this mo there was these moments during this, uh, this conquest that Moses has them all on to find the promised land, and then there was these specific moments where Moses wanted to meet with God. The tabernacle hadn't been built yet for you scholars out there. So what Moses would do is he would make a tent. And he would get in that tent and he would begin to pray. And the Bible says, as he began to pray, he would become face to face with God. 
In other words, he's seeking God. Now, I wonder, what was Joshua doing in these moments? Well, let's read this story in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord will go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So when Moses was seeking God and he was beginning to hear God's voice and he would see God face to face, Joshua would be at that tent. When Moses was finished, Joshua would not leave the tent. He would stay there. I don't know about you, but when God is moving, if we could put that picture up. When God is moving, you shouldn't want to leave that area. What you're seeing here is it's kind of a bad image, I know, but what you're seeing here, it looks like a campfire, but literally what the Bible says is that that smoke is descending from the heavens down to the earth. In other words, it's nothing you've probably never seen before because the smoke generally goes, you know, from bottom up. But in this instance, God is sending that fire down and he's putting himself in that tent with Moses face to face. You know what frustrates me sometimes, church? When God is moving and we're like, okay, time to go, altar call. People are getting saved, delivered. People are giving their life to the Lord and you're worried about the taco stand because you don't want to stand in line. See, if you truly love God, you would stay there. You would be excited about it. You would say, look, this is something good that's happening in my church. I want to celebrate this. Well, look, look how many people got saved today. This, is and that. I see people just walking out. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You got an appointment you need to be to? Like, this is where we intercede right here. You know, you, you come here, you have to be able to think about your kingdom business, man. We all have kingdom business. You have to come here and think about your kingdom business sometimes. Not just be an observer, but literally participate in the things of God, of what's taking place. And if you don't understand what's taking place, you should be able to ask somebody, what's going on here? I want to be a part of this. Or is this biblical? Of course it's biblical. We don't do anything not biblical here. You could test me on that. Of course everything we do is biblical, so don't worry. You could put that, you could check that box if you're here. It's biblical. Yes, it is. Okay. John Piper says this, the deepest longing of the human heart is to know and enjoy the glory of God. We were made for this. In other words, you were designed to just bask in that glory. But then we're running out. We're trying to end this quickly. We're trying to say, okay, God, I went to church. Hey, I went to church. Can't use it against me, Lord. 
I went to church. I was here. Yeah, but what did you do? You ever take a class and then you don't take notes? You ready for the exam? You ready for that final? Right? You, you ever do that, right? No. If you go to class and you pay for that class, right? Some of us have to pay for school. Most of us do, right? You have to pay for school. You, what are you doing? You're taking notes. You're like, I can't miss this class. I can't do that. I can't. Because it came out of your own pocket. Right? But we don't treat church like that. We think church is some kind of theater. Like some 4D experience with God. We think, yeah, okay, well, what's, okay, what's the preacher going to do now? I'm not here to entertain you. I just want to let you know that. I, I don't prepare. Look, look. I can entertain you. I can really do that, honestly. I don't have to prepare for that. I can entertain you. You know, but I don't sit and I don't, I don't, I don't prep this to just be entertainment. I truly believe this. I truly believe that it was God that took me out of that class. I truly believe that God did something in my life where I was probably going to start believing in those things. And it would have changed everything about me. See, his presence should be your priority. It shouldn't be secondary. It shouldn't. It should be your priority. You should, you should block times out for God, especially church. It should be a block where it's like, hey, I'm busy. You're telling other people you're busy. You're not telling the church, hey, look, I'm busy. I can't make it. No, no, no. You tell other people you're busy because God, it's not for us. It's not for me. It's not for the staff. It's, it's for God. That should be your priority. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to say it a couple times. So if you don't catch it the first time, you'll catch it the second time. Are you prepared to seek and stay in the presence of the Lord long enough for him to prepare you? It's different than saying, did you accept Jesus into your life? It's way different than that. I'm gonna say it again. Are you prepared to seek and stay in the presence of the Lord long enough for him to prepare you? What I love about the story of Joshua is as he begins to observe Moses, he begins to get things from Moses and he, he's, he's learning how to talk to God. I don't necessarily believe he's worried about his identity, but I think he wants to see God. So there's this moment, and I'm, I'm not gonna really read it, Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you can read it tonight. It's great scripture, great story. But as they're on this path to finding the promised land, they're, they come to a land called Kadesh Barnea. And this land is filled with milk and honey. It's got everything that the Lord had promised. In other words, this is the land right here. This is what was promised to us. We need to go to Kadesh Barnea and we need to take it. But there's a problem. There's a big problem. There's giants in the land. The Bible says that there's Philistines there. And so these giants are there. And so what ends up happening is Moses says, I need 12 spies. Guess who, which one of those spies was? Joshua. And he says, Joshua and Caleb to go spy out that land. And the Bible says that the land was filled with milk and honey, filled with huge grapes. I mean, just completely, just beautiful 
and a functioning land. It's not what they had in years because they've been wandering the desert. But there's giants. The spies see them. So they all come back. Moses is like, hey, what's the report? What's going on? We taking this land? Everybody, except for two. So 10 people, 10 of the spies say, we can't do that. We can't go there. Well, why not? There's giants in that land. They're gonna decimate us. And so they go, they go away that evening and everybody's sad and upset and they begin to say, why don't you just take us back to Egypt, Lord? We were better off there. In other words, they start to turn their backs on the promise of God. They start to begin to just devour any thought of success. And so the Bible says that Joshua and Caleb were so upset that they tore their clothes and they screamed and said, no, we're gonna take that land. In Numbers chapter 14, eight, this is what Joshua says to the people that are in denial. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. He says a land that flows with milk and honey because that was a promise. He's saying, look, this is what was promised to us. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us this land and then give it to us. In other words, what Joshua does is he trusts in the promises of God. See, Joshua knew that if he aligned with the promises, he would find his purpose. Let me tell you something, church. It's not so cliche once you really begin to think about it. But are your goals in life aligning up with the promises of God? Are your goals, when you wake up in the morning, what are you hungry for? Are they lining up with the promises of God? Do you even think about the promises of God? What's your spiritual reflex with that? When you go through a circumstance, what do you do? Do you call your friends? Or do you kneel down and pray? What do you do with that? Where do you measure yourself at? See, some of us are looking for our purpose while ignoring his promises. So you're looking for your purpose in life, and this, this is for everybody of age. We're all looking for our purpose sometimes. But are they aligning with the promises of God? Do you even look at the promises of God? Or do you even remind yourself of the promises of God? Do you even know the covenants that he gave humanity? That means you're not reading your Bible enough if you don't know that. But these are the promises of God that he begins to hold on to. See, when everyone is in doubt in your life, when everyone is being negative, when everyone is telling you something different than the promises of God, never believe in it. Because the promises of God are forever. They're forever and they're for you. If you truly believe, like, look, I, I want more of God in my life, then you have to understand that you can't panic when a bad circumstance comes. In other words, you say, Lord, this is it. This is the moment that the enemy has been trying to get me and he got me and I need to pray. In other words, you don't go and you, you run away from God. You don't do any of that. Run away from the church. Run away from your spiritual friends. You don't do any of that. It's the promises of God that keep you holding on. If you don't know the story, they go and take that land. Oh, do they take it? And as they begin to take that land, if you don't know the, the rest of the story, it was interesting. Moses 
begins to die. He gets sick. And so this is after they take Kadesh Barnea. And now Moses is getting old. He's not going to see the promised land. You think about, whoa, Moses never saw the promised land. Nope, he didn't. And so as he's dying on a mountaintop, he's dying at Mount Horeb. And he's dying up there. And, he, and, and so the angel of the Lord visits him. And, and, and there needs to be like a handoff. And so this is what ends up taking place. And I want to read this to you. But Joshua, from a, a, just an assistant and a servant, he becomes a general. I want to read this to you in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. Just listen to these words and hold on to them. You know what I mean by that when you hold on to them? That means you listen to the word and you remember it because it's a promise. Let me read this to you. Joshua 1, 1 through 9 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses aside, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite countries to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the, to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If you know the story, Joshua begins to lead them through the victory of Jericho as the walls came tumbling down. He leads them into the promised land to fulfill God's promise. And he becomes one of the greatest generals in human history while doing it. He defeats giants of every kind. He begins to, there's even a moment where I just love, where he feels like he's not going to be able to overcome this territory in Joshua chapter 10. And he says, God, I need your help. I need your help, Lord. He begins to pray because everybody was negative around him. He begins to pray and he says, look, God, just hold that sun still. Do not let the night come. And I've told you this before. I love that chapter because it shows that because Joshua was so obedient and because he followed in the promises, it's the only time the earth stood still. That's what the Bible said. And night never came. The sun was stayed up on top the whole time and they had enough light to take the land. That's what God will do in any circumstance that you put yourself with him. I'm gonna say it again. Are you prepared to seek and stay in the presence of the Lord long enough for him to prepare you for the place he has planned for you? You have to seek and stay. Seek and stay in that presence. It's not running from the presence. 
But it's understanding the longer I stay here, the longer I will be focused on the promises of God. See, in the midst of Joshua, not only finding himself, he doesn't just find himself. In the midst of that, the nation of Israel is founded and the promise is fulfilled. All because of what? He held on to one promise and he trusted God that that promise was gonna be fulfilled. When you align yourself with the promises of God, you don't have to worry about your identity. You don't have to worry about circumstances tearing you down because you serve a God that's gonna prepare you. When you follow in the footsteps of God, his, all his promises, everything becomes taken care of. I love John Piper. I'm gonna close with this. John Piper he says this, my last John Piper quote. In every situation and every circumstance of your life, God is always doing a thousand different things that you cannot see and that you don't know. It doesn't matter what age you are. I'm a middle-aged man. And sometimes I ask myself, God, am I, is this where you want me? I have to ask myself that. You should be asking yourself the same question. It's like that yearly review. God, am I doing what you want me to do? Tell me if I'm not, Lord. Tell me where I'm struggling. I want to be underneath your promises, Father. I want more of you in my life. And so, yeah, I know some of you here, one thing that I say this all the time, and I'm going to continue to say it, but your career does not define you. Your past mistakes, they don't define you. Your social media account definitely doesn't define you. Your political stance doesn't define you. In John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I don't know about you, but I want Jesus. I don't want to live this life without him. I want to trust God in everything I do. I want friends that worship Jesus. I want friends that I can ask advice. I want people there to pray with me when I'm going through hard stuff. I don't want to seek the world to tell me what I should be saying, what I should be doing. I want the Word of God to do that. This should have the most influence of your life, not your cell phone. This should have the most influence in your life. And if it doesn't, then I really question if you truly love God. And I don't say that to be mean. I'm saying that to just be honest with you, to be truthful. I, I hope it's not me judging you if you're feeling a certain way. But I just really want you to understand that that's where you should be. You can only measure yourself. I'm not measuring you. I'm just telling you how high the standard is. That's my message as the messenger. It's a high standard church. Some of you are going to walk into work tomorrow. Someone's going to say something negative to you. You can walk into work tomorrow and someone could say like, hey, you're not fit for this position. And for some of you, that'll tell your identity apart. But your identity is not found in these things. See, when, you, when, when you're underneath God, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, and you're adopted.
And nobody can take that away from you. Nothing can separate you from the things of God. If you would just bow your heads with me. For some of you, you're probably sitting there wondering, why is this guy yelling at me? I'm yelling at you because I'm telling you the truth. I'm preaching the truth, the word of God, and I'm telling you the truth. Nothing I said today was a lie. Nothing I say today was even fabricated. God designed this moment. God designed this moment. And I wanna give you an opportunity this evening to be a part of a royal priesthood. To be under God's special possession. See, some of you, you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And this evening, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. And so if you've never accepted Jesus and you say, you know, I've never made that commitment. I never actually believed in him or I struggle believing in him, but I want to make that commitment. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands. Just lift your hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you speak or anything like that. I just want you to lift your hand. If that's you, you're saying, you know what, Rob, I, I, have, I have never accepted Jesus in my life. And you want to take this opportunity to do that today. Just raise your hand. Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? So maybe you have accepted Jesus before. Maybe there was a moment where you've made a commitment to God, but maybe we fell away from that commitment. And this evening you're saying, you know, I want to rededicate my life. I want to come to the Lord again. I was in a place before where I was in good standing with the Lord, but I'm no longer walking in his promises. I'm distracted. I'm worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about next year. And I'm telling you tonight that you can make a commitment that'll put you underneath the promises of God so you don't have to worry about these things anymore. If you would like to rededicate your life, just lift your hands. Is there anyone at all? I see that hand back there. Anyone at all? Anyone else want to join this hand? You can put that down. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put it down. Anyone else? This is the most important part of the service for us. This is why we do what we do up here. And so we don't want to run away from this moment because we don't run away from the things of God. And so if that's you, if you would like to rededicate your life to Jesus, lift your hand. Anyway, I see those hands. I see those hands back there. God bless you. God bless you. Put your hand down. Anyone else? Don't pass this opportunity up. Is there anyone else? I'm going to do one more thing. I'm going to ask you, those of you that lift your hand, if you could look up at me. Did you mean that, sis? Amen. Did you mean that back there? Amen. I see that. Did you mean that? Amen. I want you to do one more thing for me. Can you come to the front? Again, we're not going to embarrass you. I just want you to come to the front. Just come to the front right now. We're just going to have some people pray with you. Like I said, this is the most important part of the service. There are people clapping because they know what God is doing right now. We all, we all made this commitment. This commitment you're, you're doing right now, I've also made this commitment. And God wants to do a work in every single soul in this church. Every single soul in this world, God wants to see come to him. And so if you're right where you're at, we're gonna have some ushers pray with you. They're gonna lead you to the Lord this evening. Right now, church, I wanna begin to speak to you. Some of us have become comfortable with the things of God. 
It's comfort. It's easy to ignore the times that we need to spend with him, to ignore the times of coming to the altar and praying. But some of you, I know that some of you have gone through the motions and it's become a habit. It's just become a habit to ignore this part of the service because you've been in church for so long. Christian, I'm talking to you. If you accepted Jesus in your life, but you're not following in those promises or you're distracted in your faith, I wanna open up these altars and I want you to get right with God this evening. So I'm gonna open up these altars and the worship team is gonna sing, but I'm gonna encourage all the Christians that are out there, maybe, you know, I need to get some things right with the Lord. I don't believe in the promises. I'm worried about tomorrow. If that's you, I want you to come to the front and begin to make things right with the Lord. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.